So today, let's believe that as we receive the Word of God in our hearts, that God can begin to plant a seed in us, a seed of greatness. He can reveal your purpose to you, and there He will lead you and guide you. Right? So before I start preaching, should we just look to the Lord in prayer again? Father, we just want to thank you once again. As always, Lord, you promise that when two or three of the people come together, there you will be in our midst. So this afternoon, as we come together as a people of God, your presence is here with us. It will encourage us, it will strengthen us, it will reveal to us your purpose for our lives. So we give thanks to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, many people have asked this very important question in their lives. And perhaps some of you have asked, maybe even right now. And the question is this, what is the purpose of my life? Now, I've asked this question many, many times. Not just when I was young, even when growing up, even when I started work. Sometimes we can get a little lost. God, you know, this seems to be the direction, but after going on a while, we seem to be questioning, what really is the purpose of my life? For some of you, maybe it's by becoming a full-time pastor. For some of you, maybe it's by becoming a rich businessman, taking over the family business. That is a calling in itself. For some of you, maybe you are you're called to be a teacher. For some of you, it might be other things. You see, so the purpose of our lives is very important. And most of us will get very excited when we first graduate from our studies. Some of us, we need to really try to remember because it's so long ago, right? But remember the time when we first uh, graduate from our studies? We think that it is time to conquer the world. Right? We think that it is time to make it big in life. So our lives are full of aspirations, full of dreams, and we keep working. So we started work. And as we started work, after a few years, it didn't turn out the way that we expected it to be. Very often, that's the case. And especially if you are living in Singapore. I'm born and bred in Singapore, so I totally understand how it feels. After you start work, it seems like we get into what Singaporeans will call this a red race. Yeah? It is like you're in, a, uh, in an experiment where you're going through the wheel. It's like you're running, you're very busy. Every Singaporean is busy, or at least those that I know. My wife is a banker. I mean, she is so busy. And, and they're just working, 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 working. But after a few years, you seem to get lost in your busyness. You thought that that is the direction of your life. But after a while, you lose track of it. And even if you get ahead in that race, guess what? You become the first red, the top red. That's all it is. You know, and many people, they came to what they call a midlife crisis. So I pray that you will not get to a midlife crisis, that your purpose in God can be very clear, even when you are yet young. And that's why you wouldn't need to waste time in there. Amen? So how do you find your purpose in life? Not by attending an inspirational talk by paying thousands of dollars out there. You can find your purpose of God in the Bible. Somebody say, Amen. You know, because the Bible actually shows us the purpose of our lives. So we just want to show, yeah. For Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, let me read to you. It says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And over here, we have three important words that I want to um, just 
expand a little bit with you. The first word is the word, the first word is knowledge. What is knowledge? Knowledge is simply the gathering of information. And in a city like this, you guys are experts in it, right? You go to school. In Singapore, it's a lot of knowledge dumb on you. Some of you students, I can see you're smiling at me like, yeah, pastor, I know, right? You know, it's like too much, too much. Because we're just gathering the information and most of us are great in doing that. We gather a lot of information and we do this in many, many different ways. By networking, right? Going to school, talking to your friends, gossiping even, reading the news, and even coming to church. Sometimes you hear some things and you will learn. So knowledge is simply the gathering of information, which is what all of us can do. But the second word is the word understanding. Now, it is a little different from knowledge because understanding now is the interpretation of the information you receive. So you're not just receiving receiving it lock, stock and barrel. You actually filter it and begin to set out what is right, what is wrong. In Singapore, we even have an, an act against fake news. So you need to know what is fake news and what is real news. So that is understanding. But probably the most important word we can learn from this verse is the word wisdom. Because wisdom is the application of all this knowledge. Not only do you know it in your head, you can actually practice it in your life. You apply it in your life. You know, the great revivalist Charles Spurgeon once said this. He says, he says this, To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal. But there is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. Wow! You can know a lot, but yet still remain a fool. And that's what Charles Spurgeon says. Don't just know it. You've got to know how to apply it in your life. And so today, I want to show you from the Bible the purpose that God has given to all of us. But let's not just know it. Let's learn to apply it in our lives. Amen? Well, I'm going to read a couple of verses, so I'm just going to rattle on as you listen to, to it. All right? Matthew 24, it says in verse 3, Now as Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the disciples love asking questions like this, Jesus, when is the end of days? So that I can prepare, sell all my stocks. Right, get out of FTX before it collapses. Wow, if you know it, you'll be rich. Now, and Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. But he continued in verse 7, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are just the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to, uh, to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And verse 10, And the many will be offended and betray one another, and will hate one another that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And in verse 13, he says this, But he who endures to the end 
shall be saved. Now, in this passage of Scripture, you read a lot of things. You read about deception. You read about wars, pestilences, natural disaster, lawlessness. I don't know whether you realize it. It seems to be describing the place or the situation we are living in right now. I mean, Russia invading Ukraine. You have COVID-19 that nobody ever expected it to last for like two or three years. You have all the natural disasters, earthquakes happening everywhere. You see, and we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus says that all these things will happen. But He encourages us in verse 13 that he who endures to the end shall be saved. You know, there's a story of this man. His name is M.L. M.L. is a soldier. He's an American soldier. So he was a reconnaissance soldier. You know, um, I was trained as a a reconnaissance soldier when I was in the Singapore Army. So basically, there are only four, they always go in four-man team, very small team. Because their job, is to go into the enemy, uh, enemy's territories to begin to spy out to see how many tanks they have, how many soldiers they have, basically to, to gather intelligence. So ML and his team were sent to Afghanistan. And so they went to the top of the mountain and begin to spy out the enemy to find out the information. So it was just a simple reconnaissance mission. Get the information, and get out of there, and that's it. Kaput, finish. Easy job, easy peasy, right? But he didn't realize he was discovered on his way up. So what turned out to be an easy mission became a fight with 50 enemy soldiers. So four of them against 50. What do you do if you are are a real hero when there are four of you against 50? Don't believe the movies. They did the right thing. They turned and ran away. You can't fight 50 enemies with just the four of you. So they ran, and as they began to run, they were jumping over ravines, they were were falling off, and and the the team commander made it to the top of the mountain because he has a satellite phone. So he began to make a distress call to the HQ, and the call got through, praise God for that. But also because of that, he was exposed, and he was shot to death. So he sacrificed for the team. But thankfully, the HQ got the message. They sent two helicopters, you know, with, with eight soldiers in each helicopter to come. But before they even landed, you know, the enemy has an RPG and shot down one of the helicopters. And even before they engage in any enemy fight, they crash. Eight soldiers die. At the end of the day, you know, the four-man team in M- ML's team, three of them died. Only ML survived. But let me just describe to you the extent of his injuries. His hand has to be reconstructed. His whole back has to be reconstructed. His pelvis bone is cracked. You know the pelvis bone? The one that is like at the back, the tip over here is super painful when you hurt it. It was cracked. You know, he, his whole face, right? his mouth, his jaws, his face has uh, maximal facial uh, damage. He has 11 throughs and throughs. What is throughs and throughs? That means the bullet came through one part of his body and came out. He went through 11 of them. His whole shoulder was torn. He has a broken nose. Now, what else can I say? 
this guy is very, very hurt. Right? Very, very hurt. But the story didn't end there. Even with the injuries, he has to crawl for seven miles to a village before he was ultimately rescued. Now, this is a true story of this guy, Marcus Luthrell, and the SEAL Team 10 in Afghanistan. A movie was even made about it, I think, like maybe 10 years ago. It's a true story, but what is the moral of this story? I'm not trying to describe to you a hero that can wow, withstand all these injuries. But the moral of the story is this, even after he survived all these injuries, you know what? He made a decision to go back to active duty. Wow, to me, when I heard that story, it's not just about him surviving it. But after surviving such a terrible ordeal, he actually went back into active duty. Few people can do that. But that is because he really believed in what he is doing as a soldier. What about us as believers? When we go through hardship, when we go through difficulties, maybe even go through bankruptcy or somebody pass away in your family, you're so feeling so down. Will we be able to pick ourselves up again and truly go in the direction that God wants us to go? And that is the moral of this story. In fact, the title of my message today is, is called Staying Through to Stay True. You need to stay through the process that God is bringing you in order to stay true to the purpose that He has given to you. And I've been a Christian for 32 years, 33 years right now, and there are many, many ups and many, many downs, many adventures in God, but also many, many terrible times. But life is always like that. It's made up of the ups in the mountain and also the downs in the valley. But having gone, gone through all that, are you able to stay through it in order to stay true to the calling that God has given to you? You see, what did the disciples do? You know, this is near Christmas season. Let's remember 2,000 years ago. What did the disciples do when Jesus was crucified? We read about all the great things when Jesus, as the rabbi, was teaching, miracles, feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, healing the sick. You have all the miracles, but what about the time when Jesus was crucified? What did the disciples feel and do? Imagine if, well, I'm not saying Pastor Stephen, but if, you know, your leader is somehow gone, taken away for whatever reason, what is going to happen to them it's not just about their leader being away, but their leader was crucified on the cross and recognized as a criminal. Your whole church, your whole movement will be called a cult group because your leader is a criminal crucified on the cross. I can just imagine the disciples were really not thinking straight. They do not know what to do. And I just want to look through a few scriptures with you to see, even in the midst of their confusion and fear, do they still believe in Jesus? Do they still serve God? Even having gone through that. Look at the, the result of it in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house 
where they were sitting. Now, this is what the Bible is telling us to do. Don't just merely survive through the difficulties, but go through it and emerge victorious. So they prayed. They stay in the upper room. I've been to Israel a couple of times. I've seen the room. It's very small. It's very, very small to contain 100 people, 120 people. I don't know how they squeeze in that place. But as they prayed, and it's not just for one day, not just for two days, they prayed for 50 days. Then the day of Pentecost came because they continued to do what God has called them to do. You know, earlier on, we read a whole passage in Matthew 24. And I stop in verse 23. There's actually the last verse over there in verse 14. I, I mean, I stop in verse 13. There's uh, verse 14 over there. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. You know, what has God called us to do? What is the reason for our existence and the existence of your church? or my church for that matter. You see, I believe that the purpose of us as believers is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody say, Amen. It's to make a difference. You are meant to make a difference in someone's life. If all your life is only about you and your family and your own cocoon, you might have a big business, drive a huge car, live in a big mansion, enjoying life, you have your, your, you know, you have many, many uh, helpers at home. You might be enjoying life. But if that is what life is about, you know what? I suggest we go to heaven because I think heaven will be a better life than that. But the reason why we are here on this earth is so that you and I can make a difference in somebody's life. You know, I didn't share with you how I first came to church. Right? I was studying in this school called Anglican High, a secondary school. One day, I was a secondary one student. I was standing at the corridor of, of my classroom. So this is the classroom inside. I was like, my back was facing the, cor oh, the walkway, the corridor. I was just talking to my friends. And suddenly someone came, a stranger, a stranger. He came and hit my butt. <laughs> I got a shock. And that was how I was introduced and be invited to go to church. It doesn't matter how you get invited, right? You got hit in the butt. Whoa, it's a man somehow. You know, it's a, my senior that's three years older than me. But you see, when God can use all kinds of situations, that brother made a difference in my life. He has the audacity to hit someone's butt, a stranger. And I mean, in those times, you know, the, the, the LGBT movement is not so big. So that's okay. That's okay. No. Nobody is going to misunderstand, right? But it happened. He made a difference in my life just by a simple act. You see, so all of us can do something, amen? I'm not encouraging you to go around doing that, all right? But yes, you can definitely do something to make a difference in someone's life. Help me turn to your neighbor and say, you can make a difference. Amen. So, the disciples in Acts chapter 4 were preaching Christ. They were doing the will of God. But then after that, they were put into prison. What a way, right? But after they endure it, you know what? 5,000 men believe in God. You look at verse 19. It says, Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. 
So the authorities told them, you are not supposed to preach Jesus Christ. Don't preach the gospel. They say, but 5,000 men got saved. Whether I want to believe in you or believe in God, you, you tell me how to do lah. You know, Singapore, maybe Singaporean way. You, you tell me lah, you tell me lah. You know, how am I going to do it? Follow you or follow God? You know, so authorities also don't dare to say, right? Look at what they believe in, in verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determine before to be done. You see, you have to do whatever God has purposed you to do in your life. That's why we need to stay true to what God has called us to do. Sometimes people change when they go through difficulties. Let me share one more story with you as I, as I end. You know, I know time is coming to an end. There's this man called William McRaven. He's actually an admiral in the US Army. He's a commander of the Special Operations Command many years ago. So one day, he was making a speech in the University of Texas, his alma mater, right? So, and he began, to, he began to share that when he was trained as a Navy SEAL, he has to go through six months of training. And in these six months of training, there were two very important aspects that he has learned. The first one, was when he has to go through what we call an inspection. In the army, if you have been to the army, you will know. Basically, you have to line up, you know, and all your things from your bed sheet to your blanket to your bag, your helmet, whatever, it has to be arranged accordingly, without dust. When your shoes, it has to be kiwi until it's so shiny you can see your teeth. Your belt buckle has to be shiny as well. So I went through that. You know, and as he began to go through that, the instructors somehow, no matter how clean you have done, they, have ma they managed to begin to scrape somewhere, see, dust, and you failed. And the soldiers who were there, some of them cannot accept it. Because they have spent hours, literally, to prepare for this inspection. They have done 99.999% near perfection. Just that little bit. But you see, I go through the army, I was being inspected, but I was also an instructor before. The whole aim of this inspection is not to pass all the trainees. That's not the aim. The aim is to train them. Even if you find somewhere not enough, it's okay. You go through it. You go through it. You are meant to find many, many trainees failing this inspection. So after failing the inspection, they have to go to the sea because their camp is near the ocean. Row on the beach with all the sand in their uniform and then jump into the ocean and then stay in the attire for the rest of the day. So it's a terrible ordeal. It's just a punishment to them. So he says that there are actually some trainees who, who gave up because they felt it's so unfair. I'm here to be trained as a seal, not to do inspection. And they begin to give up. So he says this is mental. It's a mental training. And then the second type of training is that it's more physical. So every day they have to run a certain distance and have to run within a certain timing. So if you fail in a timing, you're not allowed to have dinner that night. And then you have an extra hour of training. So guess what? The first day, there are people who fail. No dinner, extra training. The next day, they have the test again. Again, guess who failed? those that failed yesterday because they had one last meal and extra training. They're tired. The third day, it happened. It seems like the same group of people failed again and again 
and again. And again, certain people give up because they cannot go through. They say it's so unfair. The reason I fail is because yesterday I have extra training. Of course what? It's not fair. So they gave up. But you see, they have a final exam. And one week before their final test, they had a, a week of rest. And during the final examinations, guess who came up tops? Those people that failed again and again because they had an extra hour of training every day. They would train their muscles, their endurance. Sometimes, don't just look at your present circumstance. You've got to look beyond that. There is a purpose to whatever God wants us to go through. Don't go chasing the wrong thing because what you desire has not happened yet. You know why? Because when you chase the wrong things, sometimes you outrun the right one. God has a perfect plan for you. But if you want to go and chase something else, sometimes you outrun the right one that God has decided for you. You know, don't just merely survive in whatever situations that you are going through in life. I came today with a very simple message to encourage you that number one, God has a purpose for all our lives. I don't know what it will be for you. My wife has been a banker for um, 22 years and she worked in the, it was the first job that she had and the only job. <laughs> Before she graduated, her, her professor actually uh, uh, began to um, uh, let her, uh, begin to give her, get her an interview with a friend that he had. So she actually got employed before she graduated from her studies. And since then, she has never changed. But she's thriving. She's loyal to this bank and she's thriving and she's rising up the ranks. And God has blessed her in many, many ways. While some of her colleagues along the way, they changed bank. Some did well, some didn't. We don't know. But the thing is this, if you are willing to stay through the process that God has given to you, you can stay true to your calling. You know, I wish that 30 years later, I get invited to come and preach in this church again, if I can still preach at that age. I think so, lah. you know, I'm only in my 40s. So 70s, still okay. Then I will see the same group of young people that are sitting here today. And you will be maybe the leaders, you are like coming up to share, oh, I was just in that country preaching, having a crusade, 100,000 people came. And you begin to share all the things that God has brought you through so many years. You have to learn to make time your friend. You know, naturally, we don't like that. We like instant. Instant noodles, instant coffee, instant everything. drive through, Pastor. Let's not go down into, into the restaurant. drive through McDonald's, drive through Starbucks, drive through everything. We all love that. But God always use time to train us to be a better man and a better woman so that when we go through it all, we can stay true to the purpose and the calling is given to us. Amen? You know, today, you know, I just want to pray for all of you as we end. And I want to pray that God's hand will always be resting on you. That no matter what you're going through in your life, Sometimes you don't even see the road ahead, but you can feel the hand of God upon you. And that is the reassuring hand of God telling you, go ahead, buddy.
go ahead. Go forth. Be daring. Do it. I will back you up. And I think that's the best assurance that God can give us. It's not just about God breaking all the barriers in front of you so that your life is like, wow, barrierless. No obstacle in front of you. Every day is just a smooth. If your road is too smooth, beware. Beware. Because that might be the devil trying to clear some obstacles for you to make it easy. Our lives are meant to have the ups and the downs. But let's remain true to God. Amen? Come, let's pray. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we just want to thank you that you have been promised to us, oh God, to be our paracletos, to be our helper, that you will always be there to help us when we need you. Father, I just want to pray for every single one that's in this place right now, the young and the old. Lord, that the purpose that you have given to us will be made so clear in our lives. I pray that God, every single one of us will learn to make a difference in the lives of another person. Lord, I just pray that you begin to anoint us. Indeed, as we sang in the song earlier on, we are highly favoured. We are anointed. We are empowered. Lord, we are called to go forth to preach the good news of the gospel. So Father, I just want to pray for all my dear friends over here. Help us to learn to stay true the process of life so that we can stay true to the purpose and the calling that you have given to us. We just want to thank you for your presence that's always with us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.